0: Welcome to Heels in the Courtroom, a podcast about successfully navigating law and life, featuring the women trial attorneys at the Simon Law Firm. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Heels in the Courtroom. This is Liz Lenovy, and today I'm joined by Amy Gunn and a very special guest, Shimon Moss. Shaman is the first attorney who has been hired at the St. Louis office of Morgan & Morgan, which my understanding is it is a national firm, and they have just located into St. Louis. And so this is our opportunity to talk to Shaman, learn a little bit more about her and her experiences and what she's hoping to accomplish in the future with this new position. So thank you so much for joining us today. No problem. I'm excited. Welcome. So, Shaman, why don't you start by telling our listeners and telling Amy and me a little bit about yourself? Where are you from? So, I was born
1: and raised in St. Louis, Missouri. I grew up here my whole life. My whole family is located here. I went to school, did undergraduate at Lincoln University in Missouri, and then I went to law school in St. Louis University, school of law. What did you major in in college? So, in college, I majored in criminal justice with a minor in legal studies So growing up, I had no lawyers that I really knew. And so I had no idea what I was supposed to major in. And so when I got to school, I just chose criminal justice because I'm like, that's related to the law, right?
0: (laughs) So (laughs) that's what I
1: did and minored in legal studies. With no lawyers in your family, what made you want to be a lawyer? So I think that it was always either a lawyer or a doctor for me. I wanted to change my family's economic status. Growing up, I always argued with my brother, uh, my mom, and really anybody close to me. So I was like, <laughs> I should probably be a lawyer. And then also I had a weak stomach. So I was like, doctor's probably out. That's <laughs> <laughs> a good point. But I love the
0: fact that you brought up, you know, when you started undergrad, you weren't really sure what to major in going into law school. I, I was the same way. I have no lawyers in my family. And so I chose English because in my brain, I was thinking, law, I bet I'm going to be reading and writing all the time. I should have strong English skills. But getting into the pre-law program at SLU, I realized you really can do any type of undergraduate major and end up going to law school. You really can't have any background. But that's something that I wish that someone would have explained that to me when I was, you know, senior in high school trying to make that decision of what I want to do with my studies and my future career. So, and so was that your initial goal to go into criminal law or did you know what you wanted to do or what kind of law you wanted to practice? So my
1: first summer after law school was at the Legal Services of Eastern Missouri. It was really boring (laughs) to be honest, (laughs) but I did like that I got to help a lot of people who were not in the financial situation to really obtain a lawyer. So that was wonderful for me. Legal Services of Eastern Missouri is such a
2: fabulous organization. Mm -hmm. And as lawyers in this community, we should all support that more than we do. I also interned there in law school and really enjoyed the experience. And it's funny. I mean, I've been out of law school a long time now, and I can't remember exactly what unit I was in. I kind of took away the same thing that you did, which is kind of just a feeling that I really enjoyed the opportunity to help people. I didn't know if it was where I wanted my career to be, per se, in that I think I was in landlord-tenant, but it is a takeaway of how you feel when you're able to use your law license in a way that really does fulfill a lot of the reasons why we went to law school, which right. was this sort of unfortunately cliche idea, but this opportunity to really make a difference, a positive impact in people's lives. So it sounds like you kind of took away that feeling from it exactly, as well.
0: So, Shamant you mentioned that you are the first lawyer in your family, right? Correct. And so as a fellow first-generation lawyer, and Amy, I think you might be as well. Yes, I am. Okay. Do you have any advice for first-generation law
1: students? So much. Um. <laughs> so much advice. I would say even if you don't know someone, seek someone out. Literally, just do a cold call. So I was in a sorority. I'm a part of Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated. And so I had some connections to a couple of lawyers there, just literally any organization or even get on LinkedIn and just seek someone out. And honestly, I would say that looks like you, because I think that shapes your experience going through law school, to be very honest with you. So. That would be my number one advice and ask them all the questions. Because my experience being in law school was totally different than practicing as an attorney. That just it just did not get me ready at all. So I would just say get someone who's going to be honest with you and see if you really want to do it. I think that's wonderful advice. And I agree.
2: It's so much easier to move forward if you see someone that looks like you doing it. You can imagine yourself doing it. We talk about this all the time on the podcast about if you walk into a room and don't see yourself, it's, at least for me, a very uncomfortable feeling. Mm -hmm. So just having one person that you know who's on your side or you can reach out to is so affirming. Right. But so many people... Don't feel confident enough to do it, to make the phone call or to send out the email. So I'm so glad that that was your first bit of advice. Like, don't be afraid to just reach out. What's the worst that can happen? Right. Someone doesn't return your phone call or someone doesn't email you back. Like, that's not that's not a bad result. Mm -hmm. I mean, it might be disappointing, but it's not going to be harmful. So I love that advice.
1: All right. So we have made it through law school. What happens next? So what happened next was, of course, study for the bar Thank God I passed the bar. And then um, I struggled to find a job, as many of us do. And I struggled for maybe four to five months to find a job as an attorney. I finally got an opportunity at a couple of law firms that actually kind of did the same thing, personal injury, car accidents. One of the firms actually did some criminal work and family law. So I kind of became kind of well-rounded, got to stick my hand in a lot of pots before I moved on. Did you get in that time frame of looking for a job,
2: were you being particular about what kind of field you wanted to be in
1: or were you just waiting for the right opportunity? So I think that it goes back to kind of being the first person in my family and then even like friends and just in my community, not knowing an attorney. And so I had no one to kind of lean on. And so... And I I know they say you get jobs, you know, by knowing people and networking and things like that. But I had no network. So I was creating my own kind of sort of foundation. And so I was just, you know, putting my resume in anywhere I could find it. I didn't think I had that much. And I don't know what word I want to use. Maybe privilege. I did not have that privilege to choose what kind of law I wanted to choose. It had to pick me first. And then I had to build from there.
2: And in your time at those firms, did you grow an affinity for the personal injury work? I
1: did because I got to help people. I love talking to clients. Um, I've had some jobs at law firms where I did not get that contact with clients because my client may have been a corporation or something like that. And so I wasn't talking to anyone. But I love the jobs where I can actually have conversations with the people, connect with them, understand what's going on in their life. So I love that. With your experience of
2: not having a mentor, so to speak, that was obvious or not having someone in your family to lean on, does that compel you in your current practice
1: to want to be that person for other people? It definitely does, especially for people who are not in financial um, places to have lawyers. I think it's a privilege to be able to get a lawyer. And so I love talking to those people and helping those people uh, makes me feel good at the end of the day when I go home. Yeah.
2: It is a privilege of what we do Mm -hmm. to be able to feel like, as I said earlier, feel like we're using our licenses and our education to advance, help people go forward. Right. I agree with you.
1: And I think we can forget about that sometimes as we go through our day to day because it's so busy. You got depositions here, you got, you know, meetings there, but I try to really remember and I think talking to clients and just, you know, asking them simple questions like how's your day going brings me back to earth and kind of grounds me and makes me remember why I do this. So. Yeah,
0: I had that experience yesterday with a client where I was doing an initial consultation call and I was sort of doing my regular spiel of explaining how it was a it was a medical malpractice case and explaining, you know, the different elements of it and I get to the damages and I sort of gloss over what damages means and the client stops me and he goes, "No, no, 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 you really need to understand what this has been like for me." And he proceeded to to talk for maybe 10-15 minutes about how this has impacted his wife and how this has impacted his life and his children. And I really had to stop in that moment and say, this is a person. And I have to remember that they are sharing a lot of really personal, difficult information with me. And the word that's been thrown around is privilege. How lucky am I that they are trusting me with this and that I get to potentially help them with it? And so that's something that I think when we get tied up in the busyness of our calendars and our schedules and and being a lawyer is really hard. Mm -hmm. It's a really stressful job. But sometimes we may get lost in all of our own work that we forget why we are doing it. And so that was a really great reminder for me. And and you all talking about this topic right now just sort of brought me back to that experience just yesterday.
2: How did you come upon the opportunity that you find yourself in now? So
1: I had been looking to leave my last firm for a while. So I was just applying through Indeed and submitting my resume and they called me back. And by the time they called me back, I had had, I believe, a couple of offers on the table at that point. And so I told them, if you want me to make this move, you know, you have to offer me. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Negotiate yes. for yourself. <laughs> knowing yeah, your right. worth. Yes, Right. And so they pulled the trigger immediately, which I found to be awesome because that meant they believed in me. And so I was like, okay, guys, <laughs> I think I'm going to go with this one. So. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. When did you make that move over to Morgan & Morgan? So that was February of 2021.
0: How's that been? What kind of cases are you working on? Can you tell us a little bit about the firm and what all that you do?
1: So, I get all types of cases basically because I was literally the first attorney there. When I walked into the building in the office, there was literally no furniture. So, (laughs) okay. (laughs) So, I was very intimidated, to be honest, starting because I had to sit outside with my laptop. (laughs) It's the beginning. And had to kind of build up the clientele, build up the office, build up our providers, build up everything because we had nothing in Missouri. And so I had to learn that side of the business very quickly. And so from there, I kind of took on a lot of different cases from car accidents, wrongful death, dog bite, really anything you can (laughs) think of, to be honest with you. But now we have two other attorneys. We've added a work comp attorney, and we've also added a man mouth attorney. Oh, that's fantastic.
0: Mm
2: -hmm. So, when you walk in the door and there's nobody there and there's no furniture, I mean, what do you do first? Um, have a mini meltdown. And- <laughs> I'd be, I would probably just turn right back around.
1: I mean, I had to, I had nowhere to sit, but. <laughs> <laughs> so, I had a good support. And so, I had people calling me. There was literally just me in Missouri. And so, I had people calling me, you know, telling me what to do next and what to expect. I just followed their instructions, and we built it up together. Did you eventually have some support staff? I did. Maybe about two, I want to say maybe two or three months in, um, I hired my first paralegal, which is somebody I have worked with at a former law firm that I worked at. So, how'd that make you popular at that former law firm?
2: (laughs) (laughs) You got to do what you got to do. That's true. That is true. I just think that would be an interesting way to, to start, but also... The feeling of accomplishment that you must have now to walk into an empty office and only six months later have it fully staffed, not only with paralegal secretaries, but also other attorneys. I mean, that's a lot to accomplish in six months, right?
1: Yes. It feels like a whirlwind. I don't know where the time went, to be honest with you. (laughs) Yeah, it was a lot of work, a lot of and continues to be a lot of work. We don't have everything in place, but we're still growing. So how
2: much time do you spend the day Practicing law versus running the business aspect
1: of the firm. So it's all mixed in. I may get a call in, you know, to our accounting department in between talking to three or four clients. I just mix it all together, honestly, because we have so many cases. When we started advertising, it just exploded. Yeah. Morgan & Morgan is a force. Yeah. (laughs) So it, it just exploded and we got so many cases. I had to really hit the ground running. So have to find time for, you know, the administrative duties. Do you find time for yourself? (laughs) That's a question we ask ourselves a lot on our podcast,
2: trying to, I hate the phrase work-life balance, but, you know, we struggle with this trying to find a better word for that, because it's just ubiquitous.
1: Everybody knows what it means. So how are you finding that these days? So I think that's important. I'm a big mental health advocate. So I'm going to find that time, to be honest with you, because I don't think I can function without it. I don't think any of us can function without it. So I find that time wherever I can, to be honest with you. How do you see yourself in the future? Is it more
2: administrative? Is it more litigation based? A little bit of both? To be
1: honest, I'm so young that I don't know. <laughs> that's great, though, <laughs> that, right? That is <laughs> an honest answer, right? <laughs> I have no idea. I'm hoping to grow into where I see myself, honestly. I think we all travel a path, and we all don't always know where we're going, but we get there. <laughs> and that's the good thing. So I'm just on this journey, and I'm going to see where it takes me. I mean, I think some of us have just
2: a very strict view of where do I want to be? And I've got a five-year plan. And if I'm not there, I'm going to be disappointed, which I don't love. I don't know how healthy that is because we can't always control where we're going or what's happening around us. Right. So I do appreciate that attitude because it's definitely tinged with ambition, but also recognizes
1: that you can't control everything. And I don't want to control everything, to be honest with you. I want to control it in the sense that I put out good work product and I'm recognized for that, that I care about people. But outside of that, where that takes me, wherever it takes me, I know I'm supposed to go. So I'm comfortable kind of with that attitude. I know that's completely opposite of lawyers. We're usually type A personalities and we're like, we know what we want and we're going to get it and we're going after it. But that's kind of how I think. I think that's a really healthy attitude
0: to have. And we as attorneys being um, oftentimes control freaks, mm-hmm. I know that I struggle with letting go of control sometimes. And we could probably as a profession benefit from releasing a little bit of control and you know, still working hard, still trying to produce the best results for our clients, but also letting the chips fall where they may. And, and I think that that's a really... Even though you mentioned how young you are, that's a really mature and wise attitude to have. What kind of activities
1: do you enjoy outside of work? So my favorite thing to do is dance. Oh. I love dancing. I've been dancing since I was a little girl. Don't have much time to do it now, of course, but that's what I enjoy doing the most. And what kind? I mean, is it a workout or what kind of dance? So I started off in ballet and just about any dance. The only dance I really haven't dabbled in was tap. I think. And so I was on like the pom-pom dance team in elementary and middle school. I was a cheerleader. And then high school, I was back on the pom-pom dance team.
2: Were you a cheerleader? I was a cheerleader. (laughs) I was a cheerleader. I told my son, this was just yesterday. I've got a sophomore in high school Mm -hmm. and he is on the football team and he got a letter actually because he was on last year. So he got a letter and I guess they're now selling the jackets, the old timey letter jackets, which I didn't know people did anymore. Anyway, he was showing me because he wants to buy one. And I was like, oh, I had one. And he goes, in what? I mean, like he couldn't believe that I was a varsity athlete. And I was like cheerleading. And he kind of looked at me like, is that really a sport, mom? And I scolded him. Of course. I said, yes, it was definitely a sport. Thank you very much, son. Go to your room.
0: I like any type of coordination for dancing, for cheerleading. So I'm not part of that conversation.
1: Yeah. And then I think I danced at Link University with the band. That was probably some of my best days. I
2: think cheerleading and dance is not dissimilar to other competitions. It may not be, you know, traditional like team versus team per se on the same field. But I think that if you've learned how to be competitive in any sport, in any area, you've started preparing yourself for the practice of law. Not only being competitive, but learning how to deal with the stress of competition, the stress of learning a routine Mm -hmm. is not dissimilar to teaching yourself whatever area that you need to learn in order to depose an expert or to depose a defendant, whether it's metallurgy or medicine or whatever it is that the case involves. But preparing yourself mentally and physically for competition is what we do every day.
1: Does that ring true to you as well? It does. So just like with being a lawyer, I think that we may not compete with other lawyers. Actually, I think, let's be honest, I think lawyers do compete (laughs) against each other. (laughs) But I learned through dancing that I was always trying to compete with myself instead of the next team or the next team mate. I'm trying to compete with myself to get better. And so I think of that in a sense of being a lawyer, too. I'm in competition with myself and being a better lawyer and learning new things every single day. And so that's kind of how I think those two things kind of went together for me. I agree.
0: A question that I'd like to toss to other female lawyers It goes along this topic of imposter syndrome. That's something that we've talked about a lot on this podcast, um, especially for women and especially, I think, for younger women, we experience this feeling of not belonging. You had touched on this earlier with you didn't feel like you had the privilege to be picky when it came to a job. You just had to take what you had. Mm -hmm. And I like to sort of flip that a little bit. Do you feel that because of who you are, because of your background, whatever aspect or trait about you, that that makes you a better lawyer?
1: Oh, for sure. So growing up where I come from, you had to be resilient in order to make it out and especially to make it to college and then to law school was just kind of unheard of in my community. And so, of course, I questioned myself. You mentioned imposter syndrome. I'm sitting here today with imposter syndrome and I'm trying to, you know, work on that daily because um, I ask myself, to be honest, how did I get this job? You guys ask that same question of me and I ask myself, you know, on a weekly basis, how did I get placed in this position? But then I remember God and my faith is everything to me. And so I know that I'm supposed to be here. And that's kind of how I overcome imposter syndrome. And do you feel that that carries into your representation for your clients? For sure, because a lot of them come from the same background as me. And so that makes me want to go even harder, you know, for my client, because I know I've been there. I've been in unfair situations that have caused you to be in a more terrible place than where you started and just trying to get someone to help you to get out of that situation for sure. So I can definitely understand their viewpoint.
2: I remember a time, it was in college, and I had some self-doubt about something. I had an opportunity presented to me that I thought I didn't really deserve for whatever reason, because we all have self-doubt. And I think of myself now as a very confident person and have always thought of myself as a confident person, but that doesn't mean you don't have self-doubt. And so I was talking to another woman on campus And I had said, oh, I got this opportunity and I I don't know how I got it. I can't believe I got it. And she said, why do you doubt yourself? And I didn't even realize I was doing it. And she said, there's a reason why you were given this opportunity. And this woman was like younger than I was, just so wise. There's a reason why you're given this opportunity. What matters now is what you do with it. Mm -hmm. And I thought, wise beyond your years. And I've never forgotten that interaction because it wasn't someone older and wiser telling me that. It was someone, my peer, being able to recognize something in myself that I don't think I even recognized and being able to point it out and encourage me that it doesn't really always matter why you're given the opportunity. Don't second guess that opportunity. You can explore why you got it. That's fine. But don't second guess it. Don't Dismiss it and instead embrace that and go with it and fly with it and do everything you can with it. And I've always tried to remember that. And it sounds like you have a very similar attitude.
1: No, I agree. If you get an opportunity, especially like the one I've been handed, you run with it. Yeah. You prove why you're supposed to be here. Exactly. You know, even if they're not looking for you to prove it, I'm proving it to myself. And that goes back to me being in competition with me. Right. I'm going to prove why I was supposed to be here, why I have this job and why I've been given this opportunity. So for sure. Yeah.
0: I think that so many of us who come from a background where we, we don't have lawyers or we don't have a lot of college graduates in our family or, or or wherever you may come from, that adds, at least to me, I think I have a little bit more of a chip on my shoulder mm-hmm. because of it. And so I work harder and I see a lot of that in what you've said and, and your experiences today. And Amy, it, it sort of goes to something I've heard you say multiple times, which is, you know, the harder I work, the luckier I get. (laughs) And I think that that is, you know, perfectly encapsulates, you know, you Mm -hmm. worked hard for this opportunity and you have been rightfully given it. And now you are, as you say, running with it. Mm -hmm. So I think that's great. I do too.
2: So you came from a community that maybe wasn't as supportive as other communities will be for Pushing younger people toward education, pushing people toward going to graduate school, and those types of things. So, you've
1: got this self-drive. Do you know where it came from? My first answer would be God. Yeah, um, I ask myself that all the time. Like, where does this thing inside of me that drives me every single day come from? Because who put it in my mind to be a lawyer? I didn't see that. Yeah, (laughs) I didn't see any of that. I didn't see anybody with a doctorate or anything like that. I had no idea what that even entailed. And so I have to say that I just, I think that I was born with it and I think that it's my purpose. And so that kind of drives me because I know if God put it in me to do it, then I have to do it because there's some reason why he wants me to do it. And if I don't do it, then maybe I won't touch somebody that I'm supposed to touch. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then I know you touched on what else in my community, maybe what advice could I provide to somebody coming from the same place that I came from and didn't have those resources. It wasn't that the people around me didn't want me to succeed. It wasn't that they didn't want me to be a lawyer. It's that they never did it before. And so they didn't know how to do it. And so they couldn't help me do it. And so there's really nothing that you can do to kind of change that other than to reach out and take a chance on you know somebody you don't know, just reaching out to them and saying, "Hey, here's my situation. Is there anything you can tell me? any advice you can give me because i don't I don't really have anything to go off of. So I think that's that's really what it is and that would be
2: another thing that you take with you now, as far as knowing the impact that just one hand reaching out to help could make, right?
1: Yes, because that's all it takes. I've done work with the Boys and Girls Club. I love working with high schoolers who are just on the precipice of going and seeing what they're going to do with their life, seeing if they're going to go to college, if that's the right thing, seeing if they're going to take up a trade and just kind of giving them that push, giving them that encouragement to do whatever it is that they can do. I think just seeing me And me saying that I'm an attorney. Absolutely. It has so much impact. I don't even think that you have to go any further than that. You know, just literally me standing in front of them saying, hi, my name is Shimon Moss and I'm an attorney. Right. It's so impactful. And I think that's all we need to see is more people that look like me do it and reach out and go back to our communities and show them that they can do it too. We can all learn from you for that.
2: As we were talking about earlier, there's so many things that get in our way, our busy lives, and you know we get all involved in what I have to do today and what is required of me today that it's sometimes hard to step out and say, yeah, I can do all these things that I need to do, but what should I be doing over and above what needs to be done? Right. So thank you for shining a light on that.
1: No problem. Thank you so
0: much for your time with us, Shaman. And what I want to do is give you the final word. I think you have such a great story. You have so much great perspective to add to our legal community, to our plaintiff's bar. And so I want to know what piece of advice you would give to young women similar to you who want to get into litigation and, you know, get into the courtroom and do this type of work but aren't sure what to do or, or how to get there.
1: I would advise them to keep going. When you were asking me that question, those are the words that I heard in my head. It's just literally, keep going. I think there were so many days, and I think we all have those days where we just want to stop <laughs> and give up. But if you just keep going and keep taking a step by step, and I think you'll get there. And I would reach out to t- attorneys, especially ones that look like you. Please reach out to me. I think we all need some type of stepping stone. You need people to help you get there and understand what it takes and what you're going to need and because you're going to need a lot to get through this. And so just reach out to people and keep
0: going. That is wonderful advice and something that even if you are not a new attorney, I think we can all benefit from making those connections and trying to find sponsors or mentors or someone to help champion us and to keep going. So, Shimon, thank you so much again for joining us on uh, this episode of Heels in the Courtroom. We were so happy to have you. And thank you all for tuning in for another episode of Heels in the Courtroom. New episodes drop every Wednesday, and as always, if you have any comments or suggestions or questions, please feel free to contact us at heelsinthecourtroom.law. Thanks, guys. Bye. Amy, Liz, Mary, Erica, Elizabeth, and Megan would love to hear from you at comments at heelsinthecourtroom.law. And if you love Heels in the Courtroom, Check out the other legal podcasts in the Simon Law Firm Library. John Simon's The Jury Is Out podcast focuses on lifelong learning to elevate your practice and dive into the legal drama behind America's first medical malpractice case against opioid overprescription in Results Don't Lie.
1: Subscribe today.